Hey everyone, it's Kyla. Welcome to my channel where I talk about the stock market and the economy amongst other things. This is part two to my vibe session piece. It's going to be talking about the data behind why I chose the terminology vibe session and just talking about what's going on, how people are feeling and why it's so important to talk about how people are feeling. So people think that things are bad and uh, they're right, right? You can't seriously look at someone who has had their grocery bill double in price and say, well, look at those industrial production metrics. You should be feeling pretty good about yourself. And industrial production metrics are actually slowing down. So there's nothing to feel good about in that sentence. There's just a gap between the reality of economic data and the interpretation of that reality for the everyday person. People are super worried that Google searches for recession have surged, but searches for unemployment benefits are at all-time lows. The job market is stable, which is good, but inflation is eating into savings, wages are flat, etc., which makes it bad for people right now, even if unemployment is slow. Inflationary pressures have impact. People are beginning to fall behind on rent. Housing market is still a nightmare. And a summer BBQ is 17% more expensive than it was last year. And that's really not sustainable. People cannot keep on managing higher prices for daily necessities with stagnant income, which is a whole mess of wage price spiral worries, et cetera, a ton of nuance there. But how do you even begin to fix that? And that's the whole problem, right? California is doing thousand dollar checks for everybody, which will ease consumer pain, but it only worsen inflation. If supply remains the same, but demand goes up, that's the equation for higher prices. But people need support during times of uncertainty. So it's a constant balancing act of how much pain can they handle versus how can we fix it. Monetary policy is all about normalizing supply and demand to an extent, and we either have to produce more or stop buying stuff, which is a pretty simplified version of it. We're talking about more supply. Energy is the common denominator. I've talked about this a lot. Energy goes into everything, food, gas prices, etc. This is one of the hardest things to solve for because the incentives of oil companies are totally skewed and it takes a really long time to ramp up production, etc. There's a lack of supply since the mid-2020s. The U.S. has lost the ability to process over 1 million barrels of crude per day. Russia is still a core producer of oil, but even that is dicey. Libya is in a political crisis. OPEC plus is tapping at the door of spare capacity, which is basically how much more oil they can produce. And they're saying, oh, no more oil left. Uh, but as Javier Blas highlights, things are a balancing act. If OPEC plus runs completely out of spare capacity or investors believe it has, then oil could become a runaway market. From today's standpoint, more crude is needed, but it's also clear that high prices are part of the solution to the current problem. Oil demand needs to decelerate. We need to stop demand and so much oil, the ever tricky normalization of supply and demand. And there's a lack of desire to increase supply. Exxon will be posting a huge quarterly profit of $18 billion. They're investing more in oil production, but they're also tripling their share of repurchases to $30 billion in an effort to return cash to shareholders. It's reductive to say that the whole reason oil prices are high is because of price gouging, but there is an element of that in there. But that makes the energy equation that much more difficult to solve because we need policy in order to produce more oil. There are several things that fiscal policy could do to expedite oil. Employ America has discussed this extensively and investors need to have incentives too. People are not interested in investing in oil when they don't think that they're going to make money from it. The investment industry is not altruistic. They do not care about anything but money. If you only care about money, you're going to look at the slowdown across the economy and rising interest rates and go invest in something else. And that hurts oil production ultimately. And oil companies have zero future policy support. The other reason that investors don't want to invest is because policy wants to get rid of 
oil. As Alan said, I want to make you extinct in five years, max 10, but also please spend a ton of money in the next three months. Why would you invest more if you know someone is just trying to get rid of you? Broadly speaking, uh, solving supply is difficult. Freight rates have been falling down almost 40% from the highs and companies like Bed Bath & Beyond are going to discount all the excess inventory that they have, which will hopefully help ease things up but <laughs> energy. And then you can get into less demand. So there are some signs of price pressure easing. So No Opinion wrote an article discussing this in depth. Falling freight rates, commodity prices, rents, GPUs, uptick in inventory are all going to help push prices down. But composition of inflation might make it difficult. As Lisa highlights, the US has had a lot of services inflation versus physical goods inflation, which makes it so the Fed will likely go further in hiking rates into a restricted area than other central banks, just because of the composition of the inflation that we have. It's more services-based versus good-based. And people are spending less, so that's good. Consumer spending rose 0.2% in May, which is quite the cooling from April, which was revised down to 0.6% from 0.9% for April metrics. People are spending less on things like cars, but are spending more on services, housing, utilities, etc. So we are seeing some easing in demand, which might help abate inflation, but energy supply is still concerning. It's still a balancing act, which is why the Fed is coming in fast and furious. But what is the Federal Reserve to do? The Fed is hellbent on going after inflation, which is good as inflation is horrible and painful for everybody, but the labor market is also really important and arguably has more impact than inflation does. Relatively speaking, I know that's not popular to hear, but like if everybody is unemployed, that is a, a relatively a bigger deal than very, very high prices with everybody employed. It's one of those hard truths, right? This is the Fed Balancing Act. How hard are they going to swing on inflation while making sure the labor market is okay? Unemployment is sticky, higher prices are too, but people losing their jobs is really, really bad. And as many have highlighted, the Fed has a toolkit that can only turn the dial back on demand through the forcing function of making life harder by raising rates, which isn't great. The Fed is now laser focused on calming things down, but calm things down is more of a knockout punch versus a cup of calming tea. The Fed is hypervigilant right now. Stocks, the Fed's going to be watching equities. If those start popping off, they could push against it. A stand chart is highlighted. Uh, previous mistakes, they're going to be watching all the things that they got wrong. Fiscal stimulus, the composition of inflation, the potential for another taper tantrum, and the big Fed moves. This could make them more reactive and hawkish and more likely to risk a recession in order to tame the inflation that they are seeing. All the central banks had a big hangout last week and the whole conversation was around setting the vibes, which might not be the best way to say that, but that's the truth. Here are some snippets from the conversation. This is Jerome Powell. Is there a risk? We could go too far. Certainly there's a risk. The bigger mistake to make, let's put it that way, would be to fail to restore price stability. The risk is that because of the multiplicity of shocks, you start to transition into a higher inflation regime. Our job is literally to prevent that from happening. And we will prevent that from happening. As Christine Lagarde said, I don't think that we are going back into that environment of low inflation. Jerome Powell again, the process is highly likely to involve some pain, but the worst pain would be in failing to address this high inflation and allowing it to become persistent. The central bankers are ready. <laughs> uh, they're intent on restoring price stability and they recognize that things could get bad. The bond market believes the Fed good for credibility as Kathy highlights, but the whole point is that maybe the Fed won't have to go as hard as they think they will, which is net-net pretty good. The market is pricing in lower inflation worries, but this is a rapidly unfolding situation. Energy is still weird. The housing market is easing, but still has ways to go and our systems are crumbling. Just because the market is pricing it in doesn't mean the everyday person feels that. It's complicated, which I know isn't the answer that everybody wants to hear, but that is the truth of it. It is complicated. It is confusing and it's difficult to tell what's going on. And I think this from Guy Labas, who's on Twitter, is pretty good. It's his uh, midterm outlook. He said, making matters more complicated <laughs> is that the US is bouncing between 
between deflation 2020 and inflation 2022 troubling rapidly. We can only conclude that the economy remains in disequilibrium from the pandemic and policy shocks in recent years. The nature of complex systems is that when they are out of balance, they typically jump between alternative disequilibrium equilibria. For our purposes, that means the most likely follow-up to an uncomfortably high inflation is an oscillation back to disinflation and so forth until we reach an economy-wide price equilibrium, perhaps as late as 2024. Basically, things are way out of balance and everything has to sort of realign. So the big question is, are we in a recession? No, we're not. (laughs) We're not in a recession. We're just not according to the metrics. And I know that it's really difficult to go to the grocery store and be like, wow, I'm paying like $5 for eggs that used to be $1 and not think that that is some sort of recession, but that is a downturn. Lots of people have highlighted that the Atlanta GDP now metric is saying that we're in a recession. Claudia Sam, who's amazing and a great follower, has a great thread on the pitfalls of using GDP now as an indicator of recession. As Julius highlighted, metrics like the St. Louis Fed now cast and the US weekly and OECD weekly economic indicator look really different than the Atlanta nowcast, showing a slowdown, but definitely not a recession. And even how we measure GDP is a bit wonky, which people love to talk about mismeasurement. So let's talk about mismeasurement of GDP as an indicator of recession. Matt Klein has an excellent piece on it. As he writes, nearly 1 trillion of economic activity is missing from the US GDP numbers. My strong suspicion is that existing methods for tracking capital spending by American businesses on both physical and intangible assets are failing to capture what companies are actually doing. The consensus seems to be that the economy is slowing down, but we are in a recession quite yet. And I want to recognize that this is really similar to like you being in a hole and me standing above you and being like, hey, at least you're not at the bottom. <laughs> like uh, at least you're hanging on to the sides, you know? And it doesn't really matter what the people are saying if if people are feeling bad. Like everybody's feeling it. I'm feeling it, you're feeling it, and we're all feeling bad. And the only reason, you know, simplistically speaking, that it's important to look at the data is that things could get better soon. That's kind of what the data is saying. Inflation could be easing. The labor market is still okay. The Fed might not have to go pedal to the metal. It's frustrating and stupid and dumb because the Fed should have moved faster, of course. Fiscal policy should be more additive to monetary policy. Oil companies should recognize that we are in an energy crisis and we shouldn't have to be relying on oil in the first place. A lot of people will comment things like, oh, um, the economic data is manipulated to make things look okay. And this covers everything. No hand wavy woo woo required. And like, sure, I don't know. You could like, I don't know. You could look at what companies are saying, although that's probably manipulated too. I'm not sure. All data is probably not right, right? But we have to kind of deal with the data that we have in order to make good decisions about the future. It's fine to complain about things being misleading or wrong or be like, look at true inflation, whatever. That's shadow stats. Like, sure, okay, things are really bad. How can we improve it? Just complaining about the metrics isn't going to make anything better for anybody, right? That way we can figure out how to make better decisions around it. But that just goes back to the point made earlier. Economic data is sometimes similar to that comet crashing at the earth when the dinosaurs are standing and it's like, oh, but the industrial production metrics are so strong. And that's why consumer sentiment, how people are feeling, what they're doing is important. And I think this snippet from the book Noise by Fisher Black of Black Scholes explains it well. Expectations follow no natural rules. And so many have described something similar, reflexivity, animal spirits, et cetera. This paper from Alistair McCauley describes it really well, where uh, social media drives sentiment to a certain extent. Narrative drives sentiment. As Jonathan Farrow highlighted, we've literally been in like 17 different macro regimes this year. The Fed won't hike. The Fed will hike 50. The Fed won't hike 75. The Fed will pause in September. There's a small chance of recession. We're in a recession. 50% chance of recession. Recession, but shallow. Things move super quick. The most important part of all of this is people. That's all that matters. 
people. And there's some truth to this tweet too, where uh, somebody tweeted out, if you want the air conditioner to be set to a lower temperature, would you describe it as turning it up or turning it down? And it was split. 50 50 <laughs> and the person was like this leaves me despairing of our ability to inhabit a shared reality which i think has an element of truth i have my notes linked below my reading list linked below i'll have a couple of um partnered youtube videos out this week so keep an eye out for that i'm on tiktok i'm on instagram i'm on substack i am launching a kyla notes substack where it's going to be more of like what is kyla thinking about which i don't know how i feel about it yet we'll see how i feel about it i feel like i've been talking about it for a while so i'm just like go do it but yeah i hope you're doing well hope you're having a good time out there and i'll talk to you all soon Bye.